What is the definition of a soft birth? Very simple. It's a birth that does not hurt. It's a birth from the baby's perspective, that everything is soft and gentle, everything is respectful and loving, everything is uh, united. When the baby's born, the soul is coming into the body. And if the vibration of the birth is high, then there's this perfect meshing, just like you're putting on a perfectly fitting pair of gloves, you know, and you, it just goes on perfectly. And you can hardly tell there's a glove there. Whereas other times, if the soul discrepancy is too far apart, it's too hard for the soul and the body to gel well, to come in together. And so there's imbalances. So that I call the synchronizing of the soul and the body. That's the whole purpose for the soft birth, so that the baby can come in, in a, as a balanced being. You know, and when the consciousness is taken care of, then the emotions are taken care of, and the physical body is taken care of, and then the baby is very vital and balanced. Then it's a friendly world, and there you have the personality. So everything's connected, from making love to conceiving, to giving birth, to child rearing, you know, and beyond. And it's all one. Hello, this is Dr. Edith Ubuntu-Chan. Welcome to The Dr. E Show, a show exploring the frontiers of our human possibilities in areas like health and wellness, science and spirituality, quantum biology, and conscious living, so that together we can awaken the best of ourselves and create our most joyful and fulfilling lives. parent wants to give the very best to their children. As parents, we all know that healthy choices during conception, pregnancy, birth, and early childhood can profoundly influence a person for their entire lifetime and for generations to come. But how often do we stop to consider not just the biochemistry and physiology of healthy conception, pregnancy, birth, and childhood, what about the mental, emotional, and spiritual dimensions? What if the journey of conception and pregnancy is far more sacred, beautiful, and profound than what our biomedical sciences can currently perceive? If this is the case, how could we attune our bodies, minds, and souls to create the best possible experience for the new generation of children and for future generations to come? To open us to this powerful, sacred, and divine dimension of conception, pregnancy, and birth, my guest today is the legendary Sunny Carl. Her work weaves together a lifetime of experiences as a home birth midwife, a Waldorf kindergarten teacher, a past life therapist and birth therapist, plus her decades of experiences as a spiritual seeker. When I was pregnant with my first boy, who's now four and a half years old, I scoured the internet for every book I could read about healthy pregnancy. I read dozens of amazing books, but by far the single most impactful book I read was this one. It's called Sacred Birthing, Birthing a New Humanity. To me, Sunny is a true pioneer and a trailblazer. 
and I'm so excited and so honored that she said yes to this interview. So please help me in welcoming the author of Making Love to Source, Conceiving Souls of Magnificence, and my favorite book, Sacred Birthing, the pioneer amongst pioneers, Sunny Carl. Sunny, thank you so much for the work that you do, the huge impact that you've made in my family and my community and all the patients and clients that have all benefited from reading your book. Thank you so much for all that you do. Introduction, you should be the one writing books. I've only written one book. It's called Super Wellness. And in Super Wellness, I tried to also inspire this way of multidimensional thinking about our health. I really feel aligned with your same mission to open people to all of those many dimensions that we could be experiencing. Life is so much more magical and beautiful and profound and divine than, than we've been told in our upbringing. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> It is. It's really most amazing. And I think I, I get the best part. Being invited to the births of these babies is just the most intimate, sacred, silent, gorgeous experience that anybody can have. And I keep getting to have it over and over again. So, yeah, it's it's just wonderful to watch parents go through this whole journey from the very first thought of, whoa, a baby? Us? Wow, I didn't think we were ready for it, or we haven't thought about it enough, or oh, just any any answer what what is in their hearts and what comes out and all the way to birth and postpartum and beyond and then the next baby comes so it's it's a real treat in your book you kind of outline how how you came to become a home birth midwife it was a very long journey that wove together many <laughs> experiences Tell us how you became a home birth midwife and also tell us how you became aware of the profoundness of this kind of work. Well, I told my mom when I was 10 that I was going to deliver babies when I grow up. And, you know, she discounted it, but there were always babies around. So I remembered it. That was the most important thing. And then it really was a journey of listening, a journey of, uh, no, it's not time yet, it's not time yet, it's not time yet, it is time. And then when it was time, everything flowed in such perfection. And as a, a trainee, I was given one birth after another that was just, it, it just added, it, it just enlarged the box that birth was in and had been put in, you know, according to how we were trained. Each one taught me a different thing. And I wondered, what is my niche going to be in birth? And I didn't know. I didn't have any clue. But I happened to be from a community in Fairfield, Iowa, of TM people. And they had it down. All the diet and the yoga and the meditation, they just had all of that down. And there questions were not intellectual ones and what's happening in my body. It was what is happening really in the spiritual world with this baby. 
Mm -hmm. And I was so tickled to put my engine there. And that's how it just started opening up. And each birth showed me more and more. And, and then nature came along and, and taught me how to work with it, um, with the unseen, what, that I used to call spirit. But now I know it's not spirit, it's nature. Mm. And, and so each, each little piece was just offered to me uh, in right timing, of course. And then each little piece I grew on. And the next piece was offered. In your book, I was really taken aback because usually with books, you kind of read the first couple of chapters and then you decide, are you going to read the whole book, right? Within the first couple of chapters of the Sacred Birthing book, I was really impacted by your experience as a Waldorf teacher and seeing how many dyslexic children had a birth trauma of forceps birth and that it was much later that research started coming around to see that how we birth have these very important influences on the neurology and physiology, not even talking about the spiritual dimension, the very practical day-to-day -day physiology of a human is profoundly influenced by these birth experiences. So now I feel like we're so behind the times, it's like only now that many hospitals are like, let's start to do delayed cord cutting. Let's give it an extra half a minute or minute. That's where our, you know, that's where our biomedical sciences is. Like, never mind lotus births or water births or, you know, now they're saying kangaroo care. Skin to skin, it turns out what is so innately natural to any mom right after birth, it took us all these decades of scientific research to come back to know what we already knew all along, you know? So give us a taste of your journey of discovering these, these links between the birth experiences and what your clients in your birth therapy sessions and also your children in the Waldorf schools. Like give us a taster of some of those interesting connections. Oh, oh God, that's a huge, huge question. <laughs> wow. The the Waldorf School was incredible because I thought all trauma started in school, I thought, and then found out uh, much later as a teacher that no, it didn't start in school. It started with conception and, and pregnancy and then the birth and how the birth happened because we would ask the parents these questions and it was just so obvious that what the child was weaning out in a, as a kindergarten child, happened right in the womb, happened right at birth. So that was, you know, I already knew I wanted to be a midwife, but here I was a, a Waldorf teacher and didn't understand why I had to do this at all. And, and then when I got that piece, it was like, oh, wow, my, my midwifery practice is going to be very different, and I'm going to use everything I've learned to not harm the baby. So it was a huge, huge step, a huge gift. And again, it was just that that was years before I became a midwife. So I was just kind of putting them in my backpack. <laughs> oh, this is a piece I want to carry. This is a piece I want to really make sure that I, I follow through on. And you're right. Uh, medical science, sadly, is not helping the birth realm. There are so many things from the very, from sonograms that in 1998, I was told 
they heat up proteins and they're very detrimental to a little tiny developing fetus. I remember sitting in the little cabin I had in Mount Shasta going, how am I going to say that? How can I say that to people where when they think that sonograms are the do all and end all, mm-hmm. you know, and yet we have to know the truth in order to choose what we want to do with our baby. And it's fine, whatever you choose, but you need to know this is what happens here. This is what happens here. Look it fully in the face and take your pick. And yeah. that way, and then our baby can, we, we know exactly what has happened with our baby. And then, then there are ways to heal that, you know, but you have to acknowledge that, yes, this happened. And I am so sorry, baby. I thought I was doing the best for you. And I'm sure I'll make more mistakes. Mm. But I, I want to always do the best for you. This is how we heal something with a baby. We acknowledge what happened and where it is. And, and if we, you know, no matter what happens, you acknowledge it first because then the baby who's ruminating is the wrong word, but ruminating over this harm that happened can just go, oh, yes, that's what it felt like. Yes, that's what hurt. And then let it lie at peace in the body, you know, and then, then you go into I'm so sorry. I didn't know what I was doing. I did the best I could. You know, and the babies are so compassionate. And that's all it takes to really heal that thing that would instead just go on trying and trying to make sense of his world. But we can't make sense of our world when we're in such distress, you know? So we can let it be at peace and then work with the baby. An easy time to work with a baby is when they're sick, when they have a fever, you know, or at night, right after you put them to bed. You can stand by their bed and just talk to them and say, this is what I know now. This is how I wish it were, had been for you. And, and that's the beginning of healing. This reminds me a lot of Ho'oponopono, really using it. Exactly make that a part of your way of dialoguing with the baby during pregnancy, birth, and it's never too late. We can always tie up those energetic loose ends by forgiving and letting go and making amends, really. So for any audience that hasn't heard about Ho'oponopono, that's a, a practice of saying, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you, and I love you. And such a wonderful model for communication in general, you know, communicating with our body, communicating with our children, and really with babies is the fundamental, like, operating system upgrade is recognizing that they are, even though they don't speak a language of English or whatever language yet, they speak a language. They're fully conscious and fully aware, and they need that resolution to these difficulties, challenges, and traumas just the same. Yes, exactly. It's something we just have to do because this baby is conscious either in the soul realm or in the body realm. And the body realm feels all the things that the body feels and makes decisions about that. And the soul realm knows everything that's going on and never has been and is fine about all of it. 
but the body closes down if there's something that distresses it. And so we want to always acknowledge, yes, that hurt, didn't it? And we think that the baby doesn't recognize what we're saying, but it's not true. They know exactly what we're saying and they feel it in their body. And once they feel it in their body, then it can be put to rest and heal. Tell us some examples of kind of really impactful stories from your past life and birth therapy life. Like when you were a birth therapist, what were some things that really impacted the way you chose to be a midwife later on? Oh, well, every person that I regressed back to their birth, they all said the same thing. They told me how painful it was and how awful it was and how cutting the cord was terrible and it made the the first breath burn. And with that cutting of the cord, they would let out this scream. And it was always this high-pitched scream that you often can hear in C-section babies. You know, so it was this scream of trauma that's like, no, this is not okay. And that's one of my pictures in the book was about a little baby who had her umbilical cord cut. And this was the first birth I was ever at other than my own. And as soon as they cut the cord, my next picture showed the baby going like this, you know, and I didn't know I captured it on film until I saw this this film years and years later. It was like, oh my God, there it is. My first birth pictures showed me the extent of it. So when I would go work with people in their birth, they would all come out of that experience and say, this makes my whole life make sense. There were just so many things from the first meeting with mom, the first meeting with dad, what they felt about as this child's gender. What was the first nourishment like? Where was dad if dad wasn't there? The baby knows it all. The baby knows the works. The baby knows what the promises are that the baby has made to the mom or the dad. And the baby recognizes, too, the promises that the mom and dad made to the baby. And so all of this is just like knits this adult together in a new way and makes them relax into, oh, okay, I get it now. You know, this is who I was. This is who I am. But now with the birth experience under their belt, they understand that on a body level, this has come to peace. So here's the thing. We didn't know that these things were so traumatic, right? So that, that's the thing is like now we ought to know better. But the journey of healing and forgiveness can be a difficult one. There's a lot of grief there, right? Because to know that, oh, this perfect divine being, and then the moment I hit planet Earth, I had such a rocky landing. And here's some quotes from your book about some of your birth therapy clients, what insights they had. I learned how, these are your words, I think. I learned how any pain or fear introduced to the baby at birth created the decision at the core of a baby's personality. Like the world is a hostile place. Without that constriction, baby's core decision is the world is a friendly place. This is the basis of a baby's personality. That's, that makes all the difference in a human's experience of life. Is the world a friendly place or a hostile place? It's huge. It's so big. And 
to see that a whole life is influenced by the way we give birth and how soft a landing that is or how rough a landing that is. We can change it. We can offer something better. It's really kind of a no-brainer. <laughs> you know, do you want to offer your baby the best? Do everything you can for a harmless birth. And then you are offering your baby the best. And this really influenced me. You said, I heard a baby's emotional view of an epidural within 30 seconds of it being administered. Quote, mom feels like nobody's home. Where is she? I don't feel her. I'm numb all over. I'm lost. I can't do this. You know, just, yeah. just that having that color your entire experience of life as a human on planet Earth. These, these are so not small things, yeah. you know, or scheduling an induced birth, feeling like, I'm not ready. Don't rush me. I'm not ready to be born yet. And then feeling like your relationship with time and space is always a little bit off, that you're always being rushed into things that you're not ready for. If that is the pattern that is imprinted onto you, what a hugely different human you become. You're saying it so well. I can't even add anything to it. Later in this conversation, for sure, I want to talk about the soft birth and all the the tips and keys to soft birth. But we all, the adults listening to the show, came of age and were born when we didn't know these things. So we all carry these imprints. Can you give us some wisdom about how to go about healing these imprints so that we don't keep passing these patterns on to the next generations? And also just so we don't stop reliving all these patterns over and over again in our lives. Well, one way that I have found recently is that I ask my body to show me where this pattern has inlaid itself. And often it's in wherever it is, in the lungs, if it's grief, it seems to be. But mm -hmm. as well as the grief in the lungs, it's also in the heart. It's always in the heart. So be sure to go from the body part to the heart as well. And I just take my finger and hold it on that part of me. And then I breathe very, very slowly and just ask that this body part go back to its happy state. You know, ask that it no longer holds this. It doesn't have to hold it. I recognize it. I see it. I love you no matter what. You know, and within two or three or four breaths, it's just like the pattern has released. And that place that was so sore and sore with a pointed pain, you know, just has, is able to relax. So, and then I do the same in the heart and talk to my heart as if it were, you know, I am so sorry that I've been holding this all those, these years, you know, and then just slowly take a deep breath, slowly, slowly. It's, I think it's the breath, but I, because the breath is everything. The breath is source. And I also think it's our present that slows us down. We slow down enough to just go, okay, my presence is involved right here, and I am the master of my soul, or the master of my being. So I am looking at you now and seeing you, and 
asking you to dissipate, dissolve. There are other ways in the book, but this is what I've been playing with recently. Do you recommend everybody do birth therapy sessions to discover, to uncover? We all have some form of birth trauma, I'm sure. Is it for everybody? Or is, is there some circumstances where you don't recommend people uncover that trauma? It's very delicate work. I think if they have a desire to uncover it and to go deep and get to the core, then they'll do it and then it's right. It's strong work. And you need to really have the desire to do this because I'm doing this for the best good of my baby. And I'll say this, that yes, we can all do work. And, but the most important part I've found is the part about reframing our birth. When we've had a difficult, traumatic birth, it takes all of our energy. You know, it creates the unconscious. And the unconscious is like the ocean the ocean floor, you know, the ocean waves, if you've watched, stood at many beaches, you see that the ocean waves are all the way they are because the ocean floor has a certain shape to it. If it goes deep right at the beach, then the waves come crashing real fast right at the beach too. You know, if, if it goes out slowly and the waves crash way out there, the unconscious is the, the creator of all the subconscious. The subconscious is the symptoms. It's not the real cause. So you can clear off the subconscious for a million years, and there's still going to be more. But if you go and clear off the unconscious, then the subconscious actions that are attracted to us because of the unconscious are no longer needing to be attracted to us. So by cleaning the unconscious, but then we're not the magnet to all the, all the drama that happens in life. You know, I had some life-changing experiences doing past life regression therapy and came to a kind of understanding that there are also no accidents, that some of us on some level chose to be the courageous souls to jump into the lifetimes and the circumstances and the families that are at whatever level of consciousness they are at. And I mean, it brings tears to think about this. I think all the audience listening, we've all been through some seriously difficult times. And to dig deep into thinking that you actually had the guts knowingly to jump into the lifetime to experience these difficulties and learn from them so that you feel deeply committed to that path of healing that aspect for not just you, but for your community, for the world, because you, you have a personal stake in it now, right? So there's that aspect that's brewing within me that on some level, these, we, we sign up to experience these difficulties and to heal them so that we will feel really deeply committed to not pass on these traumas to future generations. And, well, you're exactly. and now there's different souls that are coming through that are like, I don't need that bullshit. 
<laughs> I don't want to be conceived in that energy. I'm a different kind of soul. You know? So, so to lighten up the topic, tell us about these beautiful, magnificent new beings that are wanting to be incarnated now. That they're different from maybe you and I were when we incarnated on the planet Earth. Uh, I think we incarnated in the, on the planet at a time, well, not you, I'm older. <laughs> I incarnated in the planet when, when birth was um, a, a scopolamine shock to the, to the mom. And so she was totally out of it. Um, and I think my generation came in to do the first layer of this emotional work. And so to take that into our children's births, they're, they're, they're much, well, in some cases it's better, but in a lot of cases um, it's not better. But at least we as parents have done the first layer of inner work. So the children then end up doing their work, but they don't have the overlay of global <laughs> unconsciousness, you know, and the mass consciousness, I should say. So I forgot the rest of your question. So yeah, I'd love if you can track the evolution of consciousness of the different generations of babies that are incarnating, you know, from your okay. generation. And then I was born in the hospital. My mom did not choose an epidural. I am so thankful for that. But they, there was no concept of delayed cord cutting. And I didn't cry. This is a birth story of my birth. According to my mom, they were worried that I didn't cry. I looked so peaceful. So they spanked me and spanked me and they stabbed my foot until I cried because they said, oh no, a baby's supposed to cry. They should look, ah, distressed. So apparently I was breathing, but they were worried that I was a non-crying baby, that something was wrong. So they poked and prodded and stabbed me until I cried. So I lost the whatever, one third or one quarter of my blood in the cord because they didn't know about delayed cord cutting back in those days. And they immediately give all moms in the hospital medication to stop breastfeeding. So I never received even colostrum much less the nourishment of breast milk. So it was just the first food I got was formula, like many children in those days. And then, you know, reading your book and just being surrounded by a different community. As a Chinese medicine practitioner, I was blessed to have a lot of friends who've experienced either completely natural births or home births or lotus births. For sure, delayed cord cutting had become kind of the science had come in. So my boy, who's four and a half years old, was born at home in a water tub. Two beautiful midwives who each had 20-something years of experience were on hand and my husband was a superstar as a great they call them doodlas <laughs> he was a great doodla and he also read your book so we were of the same consciousness entering into this birth and the whole journey of even conception with my boy was we weren't ready to conceive until he showed up in meditation and in dream time and we became friends in the spirit realm for months before we officially conceived him. You know, so the, the conception timing and circumstances was all guided by the spirit of our boy. 
the name that he has came from those dreams. And so it was quite a different experience than, you know, the previous generation. And now with the pregnancy of the second baby, I'm realizing when I communicate with her, she's bringing a whole different dimension of awareness that I couldn't conceive of before. But now that she's with me, she's constantly teaching me new things, subtleties, nuances. And I'm honestly just blown away by what is possible in this new generation of beings that essentially the sense I have, the teachings that she's giving me, this new baby is that they basically they don't want, they don't need all those old dramas and traumas. They're not attracted to that at all. They're not interested in learning those lessons. They're just interested in co-creating a beautiful new possibility for humans now, not dredging up all the old dramas and repeating those cycles anymore. Right, right. Beautifully said. So tell us a little bit about about this book, Conceiving Souls of Magnificence. I've read it twice, cover to cover. It's a short and sweet book, but I get something new every time I read it. Tell us how this information came to you about these new beings that are wanting to be conceived now. Wow, that came to me in 1997, I think, when I was in Mount Shasta spacing out in the crotch of a tree and just looking down at all the land and the mountains beneath me and there was fog and it was just beautiful and um, I saw this vision of like a, a what I call a birthing sanctuary where there were little pods of houses and cottages and there was a family waiting for a birth in each one and a soul hovering around each each pod each little cottage that's what i was seeing but in my head i was hearing this this knowing of you know the words were you will create a new kind of birth for the master souls coming and that was a long time before i wrote this book so it needed to germinate inside me and i rarely talked about it and just held it close and and you know wondered what is this about because as a midwife, what in the world is a new kind of birth? As a spiritual quester, you know, what is a master soul? I didn't know it could be a very evolved being. I just understood Buddha and Jesus at that point. So what I realize now, after all these years, is that the new kind of birth is to acknowledge these master souls. It's to acknowledge their level of consciousness and all that they come to bring. And so I was given lots all along the way, and it finally gelled into this book. Tell us about some of the characteristics of these master souls. What are they like? Well, as you said, they don't need the drama. They don't need the karma. They don't need anything are here to come into parents that match what they want to be doing in this life because their purpose in life is to serve, to serve the earth. And how can they serve the earth in the best way that can really make a difference in the next few years quick? <laughs> we need it now, every one of them. So it's about 
raising these children to be absolutely true to themselves and not have any any ideas that we're going to raise it in a certain way or any schedules or any anything it's going to take a very mature parent to realize that they have to give exactly what this soul needs but they probably don't have any time off <laughs> and, and of course we don't all of but you know what I mean. We can't have preconceived notions of, of what a baby needs and be true to the baby. We have to let them lead us and let them be our teacher and give them people as apprentices, animals to play with, nature to, to roam in, you know, much more. They, they couldn't care less about toys, I don't think, you know, and so... I think there's just a whole new echelon of child rearing that's going to have to come with these kids too. They, they will want to play with other kids and, and they will need a parent to say exactly the truth. Why did, why did that boy bite him? And the parent has to say, you know, I don't know. He, wasn't, he was angry and he was, wasn't taught that we can't hurt other people. And whatever the truth is in the moment, we have to be so totally true to them so that they can make sense of their world in a world that doesn't make sense to us. Yeah. The way I see with my boy who's four and a half now, he will, in those scenarios, why did the boy bit the other boy or whatever, he'll ask 10 different adults the same questions mm. and collect the data and then you can see all the calculations he's making up kind of like okay these are all the mirrored perspectives that can be had on that one situation Beautiful. Yeah. and with regards to playing with toys he does love playing with toys but he does very shocking things with them i don't even think the creativity is is really the right word you know like the toy is intended for one use but he uses it for 10 other purposes other than the intended use usually so it's always this like fascinating journey watching how they do things you know you learn so much so it's just abundantly clear that they're here to be our teachers the way i see it is kind of like a tour guide because it's their first time on planet earth so i want to just like if you have a friend who's a tour guide in a foreign country you show them the nice foods the nice sights and teach them the language teach them to drive on the right side or the left side of the street so they don't bonk their cars or hurt their bodies but other than that it's just their life to live, right? You're just there to show them around like a tour guide and a friend. But the term parenthood doesn't even resonate anymore. Well, and also something to also put in the, the hopper is you have experience and that child doesn't, you know, and you are the guardian so that you can help protect the child because they are so open. They are so... So wanting to see it all right now, but they'll run across the street too. <laughs> mm -hmm. So your experience and your guardianship is most important to these children and your truth saying. Mm -hmm. So please tell us how can we as parents cultivate ourselves to be the best possible parents for this new generation? Beautiful. I would say, assume nothing. 
assume only that you're, you are learning from this baby. You are learning from this little boy or little girl, and they can be five years old and teach you, or two months old and teach you. They are your teacher. They are here to, they are so much more conscious on levels that we don't even understand or see or feel yet, you know? And so those levels are gonna be called miracles by us because we don't have any, any clue about them. And if you can allow just the wonder and be in the state of appreciation and gratitude that this being has joined your life and you're here to protect and honor exactly what his essence is going to unroll and unfurl for the world. And it always makes sense that the mom and dad match that child because they would come in only to have their essence matched by the parents so that they can all do a purpose together. During my first trimester, I was always having to sleep instead of eight or nine hours, I was having to sleep like 12 hours. And then at the end of my first trimester, I had a hypnosis session guided by my friend who's also similar in her philosophy with children. She has three young children, all are home births in the water, and she does a kind of hypnotherapy. And I asked her if she could help me have better communication with the baby. Because every time I communicated with this baby, the messages I got was just crystalline, pure flow of light and spaciousness and stillness, like so much stillness and peace. With my previous baby, I was always getting very precise messages. Like, this is what I'm gonna be like, I have lots of energy, I'm gonna be, you know, love to climb trees and be in nature and build things and I'm gonna do lots of fun things when I'm on planet Earth, I can't wait to be here, lots of clear messages and here's all the other babies that are coming through and he would show me very precise grid matrices of all the webs of light that's interconnected between his soul and all the other baby souls. Now this one is just giving me, stillness wow so i thought my communication is not working <laughs> i'm not getting the messages it's working beautifully so my friend sarah got through this session and she said you dummy mama that is how i communicate the reason you had to sleep so much is you had all these mental constructs that needed to be repatterned to harmonize with my being. And sleep is the best medicine. It wasn't because anything wrong with your blood panels or your nutrition or anything like that, but you had all these old rigidities and mental patternings that are too rigid for me. So you needed to rewire a lot of your circuitry to be in harmony with mine. And now you are, that's why you don't have to sleep 12 hours a night anymore. Like, okay, thank you. <laughs> very, very humbling. I would also add that, that that whoosh to me is like the field of all possibilities. I can I can come in as I am, um, holding all that I am, and it will merge with you and your husband. Yeah. Yeah, it's um 
incredibly exciting, humbling, and scary because there's no real guide, right? The guidance is to be open to all the possibilities. Ah, that's scary. The guidance is to listen inside. There is no guide. Just, just take the time in order to go, okay, what is this? What am I being shown? How am I going to handle this? What is, what is happening here? The messages I get from this baby is that one of the possible challenges is to navigate their vastness of consciousness with the narrowness of where our world still is and that they, they're not interested in war and conflict and fight. Unlike the indigo children who are like, down with the man, we're going to fight for justice, right? They're not interested in that. So it's kind of this nuance where they are so enormously powerful because they are so soft and so gentle and so loving and so vast in their awareness that it may on the surface seem like they're like too soft, too easy to be bullied. And their whole purpose may just be to be in a body and to radiate that beauty and love and empathy and compassion out to the world and they'd have nothing to do at all. You know, and they can do that even as a baby in your arms. It's hard for the old worldview to marry with that, right? Because we think you should do something. You should go to college, get a degree, get a job, generate something for the GDP, be a productive member of society, right? We measure things in those concrete ways. But this kind of value that these beings could bring is not measurable. No, um, yeah, we don't know what, what it will be. My guidance in the book is just guidance, and it's, it's not for sure, it's not for all, all babies, it's just for the one, you know, it's just possibilities that this may apply to this one, and these three may apply to this one, but it's just to also stretch our box, to stretch our thinking so that we know that you know, what we would have done with a baby before in the process of rearing and even the process of pregnancy is not at all the same as is going to be asked of us. Okay. So with all of that said, though, I'd love if we can drill down to some tips and advice on the different phases, on the conception prep, pregnancy on birth i know this is a huge topic that's why you wrote all these books but give us some highlights like how can we so let's say we haven't conceived our baby yet we're getting the feeling or we're getting the guidance that there is a being that is wanting to come through what advice do you have for conception preparation and to listen for that right timing of things if i were to narrow it down to one thing i would say be in your heart you know, and your heart will lead you every step of the way. It's, it's not something that you're going to read in my book or anybody else's. If something is a question, hold it. Take the time. You are off the scheduling as soon as you get 
pregnant or even before, if you can, your day has to be held in a different way. You have to take the time to eat well. You have to take the time to sleep. That's what your body is asking for. But you have to take the time to be in your heart and to revamp all that you thought you knew about pregnancy and birth and child rearing and just constantly go back inside, constantly go, okay, what's, what is this? What is true for me? And it's the same thing as dealing with fears, really, because you don't belong in your heart. And, and as you work with your fears, it's just like your heart relaxes and your body relaxes and, and you will become, and you get more intuition and you understand how to take each next step. So, so it all works together. And one of the things I say in the, the book is that, you know, if you have an incredible conception, you will have an incredible birth. They are that connected. So it's not, uh, you don't have to work as hard at the birth <laughs> if you created an amazing conception. And that is exactly what you said. It's, it's communicating with the being, you know, who chooses you long before you actually get pregnant, long before you conceive. And all the work that you do with your body is really to create a good placenta because the placenta is made out of our past lifestyle, not what we're doing right now, but the last months. And so you want to you never know when you're going to conceive. So you want to really clean it up and, you know, not smoke, not drink, not do things that lower your vibration. You have to decide what is your priority. If it's really the baby, then the baby and the baby's consciousness is determined by your vibration and your actions and your food and your everything. And that is, that is one area of cleaning, not, not just cleaning how cleaning energetically all around everything you do. And it all comes back to being in the heart. This begs the question, not every couple is so lucky with their fertility journey, you know, and I work with a lot of clients who really do their absolute best to clean up their lifestyle, their diet, they meditate, they do the yoga, they're very conscious beings, but still they're not conceiving very quickly. What advice do you have? For those, I would definitely say that what, what I've found is the problem in situations like that is that it's a spiritual blockage and that that they can they that they need to address it spiritually. It's often a past life that is stuck in there because they don't because they can't imagine themselves being like that this lifetime, and yet we've all done almost everything in every lifetime, you know, and so we, we can't, it's not about judging ourselves, but it's about cleaning out that lifetime that keeps us from conceiving, you know, because we, we ourselves made a decision that said, I will never, never, never conceive until I learn this and such, until I know that I won't I wouldn't hurt the baby, 
or until I, it can be anything, but it's usually a decision that we have made ourselves. And that's the decision that we have to go in and clean up and look at and, and go, oh, well, of course I wouldn't conceive because I have to start in on a new path. What are your thoughts from an energetic and spiritual perspective of assisted procedures like IVF or IUI? Yeah, I don't want to get into that right now because that would be on an individual basis. And um, mm. I know it helps a lot of people have that baby that they dearly want. Yeah. The less interruptive way is to deal with the spiritual past lives. Okay. Thank you for that. So let's say we celebrate that we're, we've conceived, we're super excited. What are some themes in each of the trimesters that aren't totally obvious? Because we've all read those um, biomedical books about, oh, at this point you should eat this much protein and drink this much water, you know, like the medical aspects. There's tons of information about that. But in terms of the mental, emotional, spiritual development of each of the trimesters, can you talk us through some highlights that we should be aware of? Wow, I should have read my whole book before having this <laughs> <to do. laughs> oh, I assume these are your midwifery clients um, have these kinds of questions too, right? Things come up for them. I think what you're after is the, the first trimester is more the physical, and the second trimester is the mental, and the third trimester is more focused on emotional. And... And so the, the soul has a way of uh, dipping in and taking part in the pregnancy when there's important things for it to learn. And mm -hmm. often it can be an argument or, a, or something that's going on that's, that's very impactful. But it, it's a way for the child to kind of get the lay of the land for this is what earth life is like, you know? So that's how I would say the most unusual thing that I offered as to the, the three trimesters. Mm. What are some nutritional things that aren't commonly known? We're all told you have to eat 60 grams of protein, you should make sure to take iron and so on, but my experience is that that varies hugely from individual to individual, and sometimes those kind of one-size-fit-all pieces of advice create more stress and not really a lot of help for moms. So what I suggest is that in the book is all about body kinesiology, so that each mom can determine for herself, this is just what I need. No, I don't need that. And right now, do I need a drink of water or do I need to eat water? <laughs> mm -hmm. Drink lots of water. But other than that, I start out saying, this is a place to begin because all of those things are good for you. But then we have things like some people are vegetarians and some people can't eat eggs or meat or whatever. So you have to go inside and work with your wise self. Your wise self is the one who, who is totally trustworthy. And you can say to them, okay, this is, this is my predicament. This is what I'm asking. What can I do here? And make it a yes, no question. 
because the body kinesiology works easiest on that. So there is no recipe for anything in pregnancy, much less for these magnificent beings. It's just what works for you and what's best for you and understanding how to do it yourself so that you and baby are one. They're not different. You're, you can't do something for your baby and not do it for you. It's how we learn to take care of a baby is by taking care of ourselves. And anything that you feel, that baby is feeling it exactly in this moment, you know, because it's the chemicals and the hormones in you. So, <laughs> They're all the same. I think I learned this in your book that whenever anything jolting happened to me, like I'm driving and there's road rage or something and I get jolted, I still do it post-pregnancy and just in my life in general because I found it so therapeutic that I would say, oh baby, that was a scary thing, wasn't it? Mama was scared too. I learned that from your book, and, but it's okay now. We're safe now. Let's breathe and let's be calm again. Cause that was scary, but it's not scary anymore. Good one. All these kinds of ways of dialoguing with the baby throughout the pregnancy, I, it changed the way I actually related to myself to kind of sort out these hiccups in life more quickly in the moment. It brings the baby to a place of trust. And that's the best place you can be. You saying, oh, that was scary. Now we're okay. You know, then the baby goes, oh, yeah, that's how I felt too. You know, and that's a layer of trust. And then the next one is another one. And the next one is another one. And so you are building a trusting emotional body in your baby. Just with that too, you need to be in pregnancy, building your trust of your body and how well it's going to give birth. You know, so that's one other area of trust. And then the third one is building the the level of trust with your givers, whoever they are and whatever you've chosen. You know, it doesn't do any good to invite your mother-in-law to your birth <laughs> if your body won't open when your mother-in-law is near you. You know, so save, save her for after the birth and make sure that you learn, yes, I would love to invite her and I'll let you know at the end of my pregnancy. <laughs> so, yeah. so trust is huge for the baby and trust is huge for you. And anything, every time you come back to trust, you're coming back to trust for the baby. So yeah. that's the best place you can stay to have a, a soft birth. I loved how in the book you get actually, even though it clearly is promoting the softest, most natural progression possible, there are times when you do have to transfer and so on. I love that in your book, it helped me to feel more fearless about those, knowing the impact it could make on my child, but also knowing that I have tools to soften those too. To say to the baby, if I did get into a situation where there is epidural needed, because he's stuck, say, and we, we had to transfer to a hospital. This happened to one of my friends who's very naturally inclined, but she had pushed for, I can't remember, like 20 plus hours. And finally she transferred to the hospital. Epidural went in and she opened and the baby was came right out. So she 
tried and tried and there are some times when you do need the modern interventions. And I loved in your book that you can just soften that whole journey by saying, we are going to the hospital now and dialoguing with the baby the whole time. Okay, it's a bumpy ride in the in the ambulance, but mama's still with you. Okay, you're going to get an epidural and that's gonna feel like a cloud or whatever, but mama's still here. Okay, mama loves you so much. I'm just on the other side. I can't wait to meet you, but it's going to feel funny for a little bit. And then all those things around the procedures, even if you needed more severe procedures, a C-section, forceps, whatever, if that did happen, knowing fully, consciously, that that was the best option in that moment to dialogue with the baby, to soften that experience, could make the whole world of difference. Exactly. And I can't wait until you're out in my arms, you know, so that there's just, it's, it's workable, you know, this won't feel very good, but I'm going to hold you soon. It reminds me one time I was in Peru. There's an island called Amantani. Have you been to any of the islands on Lake Titicaca? There's an island called Amantani on Lake Titicaca that has a stone called the Inca seed. I can't speak Spanish well at all. Sion de Inca. And I was pregnant with my first boy. And the tour guide just said, here, check out this rock. And as soon as I touched the rock, a time space transformed and I found my butt seated on top of the rock and I was shown mandalas, mandalas, all these geometries and then faces of every seer and shaman and healer that ever sat on that stone. And then boom, Pachamama came. And she taught me lessons in motherhood that I had never even imagined in the earthly realm. And she taught me what it's like to love like a mother. And she taught me so many things, but one of the most profound things she taught me was that I, I, I was so ashamed and sorrowful for the unconscious way in which I have been living on planet Earth and all the silly things, the pollutions and the mindless, you know, honestly raping of the Earth's resources that we are all part of. I just apologized and apologized and apologized to her. And she shared that, she says, no, but I live on your love. And she showed me all those tender little things that we do that is all okay because she thrives on those times when we do meditate in nature, when we do send her our gratitude and love. That that's so powerfully love and appreciation and gratitude is such a powerful force that that undoes so much of the less conscious ways that we've behaved on the earth. And that, you know, she just gave me this like profound level of confidence that, yeah, there are things that we need to learn and grow from, but that, that if all of that is cocooned in, in a field of love, that everything has the possibility to heal. So it's that same thinking here with the birth that even if there might be difficult procedures that are involved, you know, if all of that is cocooned in a field of love, it has the maximal power to heal and not be a thing, you know? Exactly. Which leads us back to the birth <laughs> in re-experiencing your own birth. 
if you couch what you would have wanted your birth to be at the highest, at the best, at the juiciest, at the, with the loving mom and a loving dad and, and born at the right time and, and celebrated, you know, and all of the best things. And if you constantly bring that into your awareness, the, the real thing that happened, the real birth trauma can soften and go away. So I think this has piqued everybody's interest to read your books. Can you kind of define for us in a couple of sentences, what is soft birth? What is the definition of a soft birth? Very simple. It's a birth that does not hurt. It's a birth from the baby's perspective that everything is soft and gentle everything is respectful and loving everything is uh, united and i get into that much more talking about when the baby's born the soul is coming into the body and if the vibration of birth is high then there's this perfect meshing just like you're putting on a perfectly fitting pair of gloves you know and you it just goes on perfectly and you can hardly tell there's a glove there. Whereas other times, if the soul discrepancy is too far apart, it's too hard for the soul and the body to gel well, to come in together. And so there's imbalances. So that I call the synchronizing of the soul and the body. That's the whole purpose for the soft birth, so that the baby can come in, in a, as a balanced being, you know, and when the consciousness is taken care of, then the emotions are taken care of and the physical body is taken care of. And then the baby is very vital and balanced. Then it's a friendly world. And there you have the personality. So everything's connected from making love to conceiving, to giving birth, to child rearing you know, and beyond. And it's all one, being in your heart. It's all going to your heart to find your own answers. So once the baby is born softly, who is a lotus birth for and who is it not for? I think a lotus birth is for every baby, especially when they're born in a hospital because all of that blood can go to the baby's head, and it does if it's left alone. And instead of going to the lab and being sold for, for somebody's knee. Um, so it's important to, to let that let baby's own blood and all of its stem cells go into the baby. And sometimes that means 15 minutes, but that's, that's the life of a baby. It's not a big deal, 15 minutes, 10 minutes. Oftentimes, as soon as the cord gets cold, then everything expands and that cuts off the blood. But the reason for the lotus birth is because even though the blood no longer flows between mom and baby, there is an energetic flow between mom and baby that continues. And it's like a heartbeat. When the baby is um, born, even though the, the cord is not cut, it still has the feeling of the heartbeat, the heartbeat of the mother. So lotus birth is very, it's very easy to allow it to happen. 
because it's just a matter of 10 minutes usually. In a water birth at home, it, it will take 45 minutes to an hour, but that's, that's no big deal, you're at home. You know, there's nobody to ask, there's nobody to say anything to, you just do it. And, and you're looking at the baby anyway. <laughs> you're waiting for the baby to breathe on its own well, and you're, you're putting it to the breast and nursing it. So there's nothing to do, because you're already bonding. It's one of the easiest things we can do, like water birth, to um, give the, the gentleness, the immediate gentleness and warmth and trust and friendliness in this world to a newborn baby. Yeah, you know, my boy came out in the water smiling, <laughs> didn't cry, and then he started nursing yeah. right away. And then we wanted to make medicine of the placenta. So we waited about 45 minutes to cut the cord. What are your thoughts about using placenta as medicine versus keeping it intact for a lotus birth? And by the way, for the audience that haven't heard about a lotus birth, that's technically where we birth the placenta and we keep it attached to the baby and allow the baby naturally to kick the cord off at its right timing. And according to your book, I haven't experienced the full lotus birth, that when we cut the cord, it takes like seven or eight days for that stub to fall off. But in a lotus birth, usually it's earlier. So you're kind of... The reason I didn't do it is because I didn't feel like as a first-time mom I could handle schlepping around the house the baby and the placenta and you know and then maybe it will be smelly I had all these complexities that were brewing in my mind about about whether or not I could handle it because already it was such a new experience to begin with so we ended up choosing to use the placenta for medicine and we delayed court cut the cord by about 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. Tell us about using it for medicine versus keeping it. Wow, well, I've gone a long distance with that one because I used to think it was, it was best to make medicine out of it, but this would be for the mom or the baby. However, what I really feel now is that the placenta is really the baby's twin. And the placenta is the baby's, it belongs to the baby. And once it does its masterful job of breathing and cleaning, you know, being the kidneys and being the breath and being everything for the baby, it's really done its service. And then when you have a lotus birth and it gives its blood, it really has, has given all that it is. So I no longer feel that it's really important as a medicine because I think it's given all its gifts, baby. And so then you can let the baby kick off the cord, and this happens in three and a half to four days, much faster than a stump. And the baby just kicks it off as long as there's good attention paid to drying that part next to the baby where the belly button is with the rosemary. It just works so easily, so well, and smells so good. So there's no no hassle with it. It's not what you expected at all. Yeah, then after three, three and a half days, the baby kicks it off just in the process of moving. And then it's free, free from the mom's body as well. You know, it goes through these stages of, of letting go, letting go of the old, just the way we have to. You let go of the old in order to open up to whatever's coming next. I just went through that this week. <laughs> 
<laughs> major letting go. And, um, and the baby, babies do it too. And it's to be celebrated. They're, they are then free beings in this world. And yet we still protect them. We still keep them in our bubble, you know, to protect them and take care of them as they grow and become more and more independent. What are the causes of postpartum depression? Because one of the reasons people use the placenta for medicine is to support the mom's postpartum recovery and prevent postpartum depression. So maybe we need a deeper understanding about that. To me, when I've seen it, which is very rarely, it has to do with the mom not having enough support. It's really simple. When we have a good birth and we love our birth and we are so grateful for the kind of birth it was and we can acknowledge all the perfection in it, even though it had different ways of looking right, then, then everything works. We bond well. The baby bonds well. We nurse well. The baby nurses easily. You know, there's, there's so many fewer problems. When you get into interference and inter interventions in a hospital, it just is so difficult to get that baby nursing sometimes. Mm -hmm. It's so difficult to get them bonding sometimes. You know, of course we love our babies, but intervention somehow cuts the natural flow of of heart energy and and also hormones you know the hormones that support bonding are major and if you interrupt things by different folks coming in and and just you know it's a surprise then things don't go as well as if you let nature take its course and the minimum of anything any interruptions happens and then everything flows then the the body works, then the birth works, then the body opens, then the bonding happens, the baby's bright-eyed, you know, and ready to, to nurse. So, so it's, it's really that, again, that everything's connected. You know, I have to say, because of my birth being in the hospital and coming from a generation where babies weren't nursed, we all got formula, I had a lot of doubts and my husband's really supportive in getting me all the nourishment that I need. And I had a good support system. So I said, I will commit to nursing my baby for six months. I'll do it through hell or high water. I'm going to figure out how to do that. And then we ended up nursing him for four years. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Because it's such a lovely relationship. Too. It was so I loved it so much. It was just such a sweet, like an intensity of love and sweetness and blissfulness that I had never experienced before. And why in the world would we take that away from women, you know? And so I mourn for my mom and for all the generations that, that miss that support. Yeah, it's true. It's so true. He still talks about it all the time. Like his, he talks about his favorite things, like what are his favorite things? And we don't nurse anymore, but he still says the boobs are his favorite things in the whole world, you know? And he's excited. Revisit that when you have your other baby. 
I know you can see like the sparkles in his eyes when he's like, oh, when my baby comes, he calls the, his sibling, my baby. When my baby comes, she's going to be this tiny and she's going to love the boobs. And I'm going to snuggle with you when the baby's on your boobs. Like he's so excited about that, that revisiting that whole journey again. How sweet. He's had the boob doesn't have to play it in a less than than wholesome way when he's an adult man. <laughs> yeah. That that the nourishing of the mama is is what, you know, you recognize as what they are. Yeah. But it's not sex symbol. Right. Any other words of wisdom for that postpartum transition for the whole family, you know, for lovemaking and for the mom to kind of restore her vitality? Because everything is flipped around. You're, you have a completely different new body, a new relationship. Yeah, you do. Your questions are so huge. <laughs> Yes, again, with the postpartum depression, I would suggest that there is so much support set up before the birth happens. In Fairfield, Iowa, there is a thing called the Mother Baby Program, which is a woman coming in to massage the mom every day for six weeks. And the mom has time to massage the baby and the dad too. So they, they everybody learns baby massage and everybody has the nourishment of the Vedic herbs, it's the most amazing thing. And then the best friend of the mom has created a list of people for those six weeks while the baby is still in this cocoon and not going, it doesn't go out to the store, it doesn't do anything. Uh, mom and baby stay at home and the list of friends goes out and everybody picks their slots and they create lunch is the main meal and enough of it they take enough of it to them so that they can have leftovers for dinner and then the next day somebody else shows up with something else and then they take the dirty dishes back it's just the most gracious support of a new mom and all that she needs to do you know just to just to get used to the idea of this new being and how to make decisions and you know, you can't even have time to go to the bathroom, much less a shower every day. You know, it's a big transition, and, and Dad needs this help, too. So this is the biggest, hugest thing. And so there was rarely postpartum depression because of this layer level of care from the community. So, yes, whatever you can do to support your moms in this way. Everybody can be a friend and everybody can take a day and, and give her a chance to revitalize instead of get so exhausted in these first couple months. If you were the queen of your own island, what kind of like government policies would you put in place to soften that whole journey for a new family? Certainly not moms go back to work full time at six weeks throw the baby in daycare. That, that is not the most ideal situation. I think we can all agree. Well, so babies, babies go into daycare often because the birth was not what mom needed. It was so difficult and taken out of her power that, that the birth was difficult. And, and so it's more fulfilling to go to work than it is to be a mom. So as difficult as that is to say, that can be the truth in a lot of cases. 
So what else? I would make it a law that all doctors that delivered babies had to learn from midwives and give midwives back their power to go with their heart again instead of go with the medical model that they've had to do in the past couple years in order to be acceptable by the profession. I would outlaw epidurals and sonograms unless there was real reason to, to offer these, and sometimes there is. I would teach doulas about uh, re-experiencing a baby's birth so that the baby gets what it needs. If there was any trauma at all, it's so simple. And the baby lets go of it right then and there. It's just magic to watch. Uh, what else? I would definitely give moms and dads like a year off, just as Sweden and Denmark and all sorts of countries already do. De Holland, you know, they, they have great programs. That's the direction I'd go, yes. Mm, thank you for that. You know, a lot of our audience members are kind of out-of-the-box thinkers. This mm. really inspires us until our governments kind of wake up to these new levels of possibilities. We can all do our best mm -hmm. with what we got right now. For example, I'm a self-employed holistic medicine practitioner, and I am able to set up my own schedule. So hearing everything that you're saying, how is translating for me is like, how can I get as close to that reality as possible, given the world we still live in today? And there's always some wiggle room, right? Like friends, family, changing schedules, working part-time. Maybe you can't take a whole year off completely from work, but how can you work part-time, take breaks, work half days? There's always and some creative really, way. Yeah. And, and not that you're flaking on work, but that you're doing the most important work there is. You know, rocking the cradle. That's, that is the most important work for the evolution of the earth. Yeah, and I've, I've actually seen economic statistics that show for every $1 we spend in early childhood, it pays back $7 in terms of increased productivity of that human and decreased cost to society of that human in terms of lower crime rates and so on, you know, lower disease rates later in life. And it's just a, a, it's silly that we don't nurture this part of our human life. And then we pay back hugely later on in life. If you move even earlier to an earlier time, not just early childhood, time when the mom gets pregnant, as soon as she knows she's pregnant, this is when we should be pouring money into the care of the mother and the father so that they are not stressed, so that they can be relieved of financial burdens, so that they can eat the best quality organic food. All of these things will make even bigger differences in the, in the later years. And Michelle O'Dont has already proved that with seeing where the seeds of diseases like diabetes and heart disease are. They're in pregnancy. Wow. Well, you've given us a ton to digest and integrate. I could, of course, chat with you for days on end because 
I love all three of your books. And of course, I'm rereading everything now in my second pregnancy with fresh new perspectives and a fresh new kind of excitement, you know, because every baby is different and I'm getting different guidance from this baby than I did the first pregnancy. <laughs> right, right, underline in a different colored pen, baby A, baby B. And then you can see how really different they are. <laughs> yeah. For those of us that want to follow your work, how can we, what's your website? How can we buy your books and so on? How can we follow your work? Uh, sacredbirthing.com is my website. And Sacred Birthing with Sunny Carl is the Facebook. And there's a new book coming, but not yet. It was just conceived. Ooh, what's the topic? It was really just conceived. And I don't think... I'm going to give that out because, you know, like a, like a little conceptus, it, it needs its, its mystery. It needs its darkness to nurture it. So soon it'll be out. All right. So, well, for everybody, Sacred Birthing is the book that turned me on to this completely new way of thinking about and experiencing the birth journey way beyond the biomedical and physiological aspect, but really considering the baby's perspective in all of it, in conception, in pregnancy, and in birth, and those first days after birth. And then Conceiving Souls of Magnificent, and it's another beautiful book that really puts a whole different level of perspective on conception and on this new generation of beings that are coming to the planet. And then we didn't even talk about it that much. Making love to source is feels to me like a re-remembrance of a different way of intimacy that is so um, so beautiful, but also, to be honest, at the same time, it resonates, but there's a grief and heartbreak that I experienced reading it because we've lost so much of this, you know. It's a tiny little book. Look, you guys, it's a very thin book, but it was profound for me, and I'm still in the process of digesting it. So maybe in a future interview, I'd love to chat with you more about this book, too. All three of these books are game changers. You know, your, your description that you just said would be a wonderful thing to move through you and out before this baby is born. Thank you. Yeah, I'll definitely take that to heart. So to tie up this incredible conversation we've had today, if it's even possible to distill it down to one most important thing, because this podcast, this show is about supporting all of us in tapping into our highest level of human possibilities. You've had this incredible life in making love to source. I discovered that you had uh, studied with the Christian mystics, the Buddhists, the Sufis, the TM people, and all these amazing experiences you've had in addition to the past life regression, the birth therapy, the Waldorf journey, and the, the midwife experiences, and just being a mother and a grandma and a leader in the community. You've had so much richness of life experience. So the question is, if you were to distill all of that down into one simple essence, 
What is the most important thing we should know on our journey of tapping into our highest levels of human possibilities? Well, for me, my truth is that soft birth and harmlessness does more for the consciousness of each baby than anything else we can do during its whole life. The baby's consciousness is, is about the evolution of that child and the evolution of the child creates the evolution of the planet. That child will have so many people to touch with the level of consciousness that it has managed to bring into the body. So the harmlessness of soft birth is definitely my answer. Oh, thank you so much. You guys, that was such a beautiful conversation. And whether you are already a parent or expecting to be a parent, or you are just some um, thinking fresh about how to heal, because we all came through the womb, we were all born into different levels of awareness, how profound it is to heal those patterns so that we unleash our fullest possibilities in this lifetime and beyond. You know, you've given us so many aspects to consider. And I think any one part of this conversation could be making a profound impact on our lives. So thank you so much, Sunny, for this incredible, inspiring conversation and for devoting your life to this work that is creating such ripple effects on the planet. Thank you so, so much, so much gratitude, so much deep respect for all that you are. Thank you. Thank you for putting this out. All that you do, be well. Bye. Hi, friends. Did you love that interview? If you did, please leave a review and share with all your friends so that many more people can benefit from these game-changing insights. You can also go onto our website, DrEdithUbuntu.com, and subscribe to our newsletter, where you'll receive free trainings and next-level ninja tools that we only share on our newsletter. Together, let's turn your life into a brilliant masterpiece.